0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we're down to the final four as upsets reign supreme in the first round of the NLL playoffs. We'll talk to Pat Gregoire about home floor advantage. Joey Capito tells us he knew exactly where he was shooting on Evan Kirk. And Dan Littner and the Toronto Rock, they just want to keep in the rhythm. All that and more on OTCB. What is good lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We are down to the final four. The Bandits, the Rock, the Roughnecks, the Mammoth. Two incredible NLL rivalries will square off before we can find the final two. To crown an NLL champion. And what a week it was in the first round of the playoffs. Three of the four road teams won. Bandits the only home team to win. The two Western games went right down to the wire. Even that Georgia-Toronto game got close near the end. But it really wasn't close for most of that game. And the Bandits had most of the control against New England. As they seemingly cruised over the Black Wolves. But we have, as mentioned, two great matchups and two great rivalries to square off here for the division finals. Obviously, the Rock and Bandits are a rivalry that go back all the way to the late 90s. And then the Roughnecks and Mammoth have been one of the most recent rivalries in the National Lacrosse League since the mid-2000s. And it has been an intense, fierce one full of Disappointing losses if you're a fan of the Colorado Mammoth when it comes to the playoffs. These two teams have faced already 10 times. Calgary has won 9 of them. You can take that for what you wish. Some feel it'll play a big advantage. Some feel it has nothing to do with this game at all. Meaningless stat or a super number. You take your pick. We'll also talk, as mentioned off the top, with Pat Gregoire, he'll stop by, Joey Capito of the Colorado Mammoth, and Dan Lintner of the Toronto Rock are our guests this week. But let's just sort of talk about the weekend that was, because there were some interesting moments in some of the games that have a lot of people talking uh, for good or for bad, depending on which side of the coin you lay on. In which team you cheer for. Friday night was the start of it all. And obviously two big talking points in that game, the blackout early on in the fourth quarter, uh, then the Ben McIntosh goal at the end of regulation. I'm not sure if I've seen two crazier situations in one game. Uh, The blackout could have affected either team equally, it was because it was just such a weird thing to happen to have the power go out and then to have to sit there for another 10, 15 minutes or whatever it was after the quarter break just trying to figure out what was going on and obviously all of us that were watching on BR Live had the yellow screen of death so we really didn't know what the heck was going on. I was getting updates from people that were in the arena at the time. I was having to follow point streak. Uh, we all missed the Eli McLaughlin goal that kind of got Colorado going. And then the power outage happened. It was a weird situation. And the Mammoth were able to build off it. Unfortunately for the rush, they kind of got their wheels stuck in the mud after that blackout. And it allowed the Colorado Mammoth to climb back in that game, get some momentum, and put a little seed of doubt inside the minds of the rush players and their fans. But the Ben McIntosh goal could have absolutely crippled the Colorado Mammoth. And if Mike Messenger would have scored off that opening draw, it probably would have been one of the most heartbreaking losses in Mammoth playoff history. And there's been a bunch. Just go back and look at all the overtime losses they've had against Calgary in the years past. But this one would have stung that much more had that ball snuck past Dylan Ward eight seconds into overtime. But alas, it didn't. And Dylan kept his team alive. And a few minutes later, Joey Capito becomes a hero. Off the restart. Finds Church.
1: Shut down by Capito. Uh-oh. Back to Using an interpicked off. Capito. Breakaway. Shook. Coming back the other way. Scores. Joey Capito wins it for the Colorado Mammoth. They pull off the upset, their first ever playoff win over the Rush, and they're off to the West
0: Division final. What a call from Ryan Flaherty in the SASTEL booth. A disheartening loss for everybody involved with the Rush, but the biggest playoff win in Mammoth history since 2006 when they won the NLL championship. So many great things for Colorado in that game and much of it stems from having a healthy lineup including getting Eli McLaughlin back who had five points, getting Corey Vitterelli back who was his grinding self, but also getting contributions from Jeremy Noble who has struggled this year in the biggest slump I've ever seen from an elite lacrosse player. To see him battle back the way he has in the last few weeks, getting back in the lineup due to injuries and not sulking, not hanging his head, not being a quote-unquote cancerous teammate, I think that speaks volumes to the character of Jeremy Noble and for him to come in last weekend and have the game that he did to build some confidence in his himself and then to come back this weekend and have a game that he did uh, in a pivotal moment for his franchise speaks volumes, and I think everybody in that Mammoth locker room deserves a ton of credit. Obviously, you got to give huge props to Pat Coyle, Andrew McBride, and Sean Williams who found themselves a game plan that worked, and we're going to talk with Joey Capito in a minute, we're going to talk with Pat Gregoire about this as well, but we cannot undervalue the lessons that the Mammoth learned two weeks ago in that butt-whooping that they took in the regular season finale. And they learned so much, not only about themselves, but about the Saskatchewan rush in that game that it actually benefited them heading into the West semi-final. And when you can learn from your mistakes, and you can go back and watch film and have a quick turnaround to play that team again, there are incredible advantages to that. And I think Colorado did an incredible job of learning from their mistakes two weeks ago and making the proper adjustments. They did it on both sides of the ball. And it helped them climb the mountain that was the Saskatchewan Rush and the SaskTel Curse. They had never won in that arena. They hadn't beat the Rush on the road since 2013 when the Rush were in Edmonton. So this is a huge hill to climb. Now, they have to climb an even bigger hill and maybe an even bigger nemesis in the Calgary Roughnecks who they just cannot find a way to beat in the postseason. They have only beaten them once, and that was 2006 when they went to the championship final and won over Buffalo. Can they do it again? Joey Capito has faith in his club. I caught up with him earlier this week and obviously the first question I asked him, how exciting was last Friday night. You
2: no know, words can't even describe uh the kind of emotions that were running through my head. Um you know, it, it the fact it was an overtime winner was even cooler, but uh it was more so just the playoff disappointment the mammoth have had in the past. You know, since I've been here, I think we have like a one and eight record or something. So we've been on the wrong side of a lot of close games in the playoffs and to finally uh pull out one of those close ones and move on a special.
3: Yeah. It's got to be a big weight off a lot of your guys' shoulders. You talked about the playoff disappointment and and those first round losses that just seemingly continue to happen. It must've been nice to be on the other end of a first round upset.
2: Yeah, it really was. And you know, the fact that it was against the rush uh, team, we haven't had a lot of success in the past against. I don't think we'd won in that building before, you know, they've made four Western finals in a row. So to beat down the uh, descending champs or to take them down uh, was, was a little extra special as well.
3: Uh, you said it and Derek Keenan said it and Pat Coyle said it. And I'm sure a lot of other people have said it, but the, the line of it's tough to beat a team four times in a year kind of rang throughout the post-game comments. Why do you think that comment rings so true?
4: Well,
2: I mean, you look at, other sports that have traditional seven game series or even summer ball, right? It's really hard to get a sweep. Um, I think you become familiar with your opponents. Uh, you certainly make adjustments and obviously there's a motivation factor as well, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you look at the week before, they took it to us pretty bad. They were up 11, one at half, uh, ended up beating us 13, eight. So, you know, it's hard to put a team down four times in a row. And, um, You know, if you look at our situation, just the way we kind of played the week before in the regular season, we came out with a lot more fire uh, and a lot more jam in the playoff game. And, you know, we had a good week of preparation. We knew what they wanted to do. And, you know, all those adjustments paid dividends. I noticed in the game the week
3: before, you know, Patty wanted to put Steve Fryer at one point, and Dylan kind of waved him off, almost like, I want to be in here so I can continue to learn from our mistakes and tendencies what was the biggest thing as a group you guys learned about Saskatchewan from the regular season finale to last week?
2: Well, I mean, they obviously came out um, with more of a purpose than us. I don't want to say, you know, we were flat. That's the only way you can describe it, I guess. I mean, they were still playing for home four and first place overall. We already knew our fate. So not that we didn't care, but we didn't have the same sense of urgency. And you could tell that with our play. Um, but, you know, we were able to pick up some tendencies, some of the things they wanted to do offensively, especially. Uh, and we made adjustments. We really limited what they want. I think, you know, they finished with 10, but a few fluky goals, one at the end there. Knighter uh, scored a dive behind the net, one short-handed, one that bounced right, in Churchy's stick. So, I mean, all things considered, I thought we played a really strong game defensively. We had a good game plan, and we executed very well. First quarters
3: have been a, a struggle point for you guys this year. You had a good one Friday night. What is it, do you think, that caused you guys to be a little slow out of the gates?
1: Yeah, I don't know
2: if it's it's a mental thing or what, but just kind of the way the season's gone, we've uh, really had to grind. Um, you know, we know we're not a team that's going to put up 15, 16, 17 on any given night. We're a team that's going to try to slug it out and uh, win a low-scoring affair um our offense has certainly come alive uh, a little bit i think when we're healthy and we have all our guys in there we're a dangerous offense mm-hmm. uh, but for one reason or another we just haven't had those quick starts and you know we've tried a couple different things in warm-ups and um it's obviously a little bit concerning but you know as long as the score is close, it doesn't really matter uh how many goals you're putting up in the first quarter Absolutely. Um, getting Eli
3: and Vit back was important for you, but how important has it been to get uh, Jeremy Noble back playing at a high level?
2: It's awesome to see Nobles back in the lineup and playing so well. Um, you know he's been a cornerstone of our offense for the last four or five seasons, uh, and he had a rough start at the uh, start of the year, but he's been a true professional. He's been working hard off the floor and in the locker room, and. You know, to see him come back in and on playoff time and have the success he's had is so encouraging, so exciting. And you just know everybody in the locker room looks up to him and uh, it really fires the boys up when he's able to do that.
3: Absolutely. Um, I think it's awesome to see what your offense does, but obviously the key for Mammoth in the years past has been defense. Um, Shutting that team down, you you know, you talked about it, 10 goals. there, There were some fluky goals. But how much confidence does it give you guys defensively to be able to shut a team like that down?
2: Oh, confidence is through the roof, and you know we know we can play with anyone in this league, and we know we can beat anyone in this league. Um, You hear me say it all the time, but it obviously starts with Wardle. He's the best goalie in the league, and uh, if we can kind of limit their shots and give up the opportunities we want to give up, he's going to save them more times than not. So we've done a good job all season um, in kind of dictating where the shots come from and. You know, he's our backbone back there. So when he's on like he was in the playoffs uh, game last weekend, we're going to be a tough out, and we really feel like we can beat anyone in the NLL.
3: I'm sure you guys were just as confused as I was
2: and everybody else
3: watching the stream uh, Friday night. What do you think, or what was the reason the officials gave for allowing that tying goal by Ben McIntosh? Do you know?
2: I think, I don't know if confusion is the right word. It was more anger, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty pissed off. You could see me hopping around on the field there, but when I talked to Mark about it right after, well, it was more screaming than talking, I think. Um, but he said he saw the ball trapped under Hopi's stick, yep. which is true because it wasn't the start of the play, but as soon yeah. as Hopi got up, Wardle had it trapped. He clearly has it trapped. He's clearly in the process of picking it up, uh, and McIntosh bumped it out while he was picking it up, which should be a penalty. Um, So we were furious that there was no call on it. Uh, But it's not something that's reviewable, I don't think. I think they could only review for the crease. So I knew it wasn't going to get overturned. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, like, referees make mistakes. And I'm not one to get on the refs because it's, it's, you know, a tough job. And it kind of goes both ways. Like, there's going to be good calls and bad calls for both teams. So um, I'm more proud of how we kind of battled through the adversity. You know, we didn't hang our heads. And we were were able to keep our composure and uh, pull through for the victory.
3: How much of an absolute gut-wrencher having that Macintosh goal one would it have been if Messenger would have scored right off the
2: OT draw? It would have been devastating. I was <laughs> on the other end of the floor on the O side for the face-off, and I'm pretty sure I said it out loud, not like this, not like yeah, this. Right? As he was running down, but, um, you know, I said it to a couple guys after, in those situations where you have a call go against one team, usually that team doesn't end up faring too well in the uh, – the extra frame. So, um, you know, Wardle made some big saves in that overtime period. We were lucky, actually, that there was one off a pipe where I had no idea until we we uh, watched the game after. I thought McIntosh just missed the net on that right. shorthanded uh, shot. So a couple of good breaks. And, you know, just, just to be able, like I said, to keep our composure, to fight through the adversity and to the, the come away with the win was massive and something that's certainly going to help us going forward.
3: So you slayed the Dragon on the road, which was the rush, and that was a a hump you guys had really struggled to get over since they became the Saskatchewan rush. Now you have to go and face your arch nemesis, the Calgary Roughnecks, on the road. How excited are you for Friday night and a chance for a little redemption against a team
1: that's sort of
3: always been that team that stuck the dagger in you to end the year?
2: You know, I'm super excited uh, to be playing them. I love playing against Calgary. Uh, I think they're the biggest rivalry in the league. Um, at least in the Western Conference. And every time we play, it seems to be a great game.
0: You know, they've certainly had
2: our number in the past since I've been here, but I don't really think anyone cares about that. Or even if you look at the makeup of our roster, right, it's a lot of different guys uh, from the teams that lost in the playoffs in the past, right? We have a ton of new faces this year, guys with a winning pedigree. So I don't think it's going to play a factor what's happened in the past. Uh, It's all about how well we prepare and uh, how... uh, how good of a serve we can get off through friday night a short week for
3: both teams being a friday and even shorter week for calgary who played on monday but what's the biggest focus for you mentally to get prepared for a friday night game and probably obviously the biggest game of the
2: year yeah i mean for them playing on the monday and a couple of cross-country flights certainly won't help you know we have the luxury of having a few extra days off we were able to watch the game against san diego and uh, the biggest thing just mentally is you know understanding the film what they're trying to do offensively for us uh and like I talked about earlier, we really wanna dictate um, uh and set the tone in the back end uh preparation's gonna be be key. I think they're a team that wants to run the floor a lot, they got a bunch of talented players in transition, so if we can really limit those opportunities we'll uh, we'll have a good chance tonight. you're gonna be a father soon, I'
3: tell you that. <laughs>
2: That is super exciting. Um, you know, we found out just at the start of the year, and we had that uh, gender reveal that I kind of botched. I'm sure you saw the video. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, You're on you
3: breakaways than hitting a stationary
2: target. I knew I was in trouble because I'm sure you've seen the <laughs> stick I used. It's one of the oh, biggest yeah. bags in the league. So they put this little plastic ball. It's almost like a ball pit ball filled yeah. with something. And as soon as I felt it, I said, this thing's not going to come out. It's not really like you could do a, a practice show with it. So just yeah. tried to jam it out and it uh, didn't work too well but we're su- we're super excited about uh about having a little girl and uh you know I'm sure the next few months are going to fly by uh, you'll get less and less sleep as the days get closer and closer I'm sure yeah the boys have been telling me the ones with kids that uh, enjoy it when you go away on the weekends that's when you catch up on your sleep so. <laughs> uh
3: Joey it's always a pleasure man uh a, a bigger goal in your career have you ever scored
2: uh, that has to be the biggest by far
3: yeah, that was had to be an incredible moment you you mentioned uh after the game that you 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 had to stop thinking uh was that just a, a hope and shot play
2: or did you kind of have a tendency of turkey there no so i i i mean i get in trouble when uh, i overthink the breakaways and usually it's when you have too much time and you start yeah. thinking about fakes and stuff but um, after I picked it off and I kind of looked back and saw I had a few steps on Churchy so he wasn't going to get me I could really just focus on the shot and you know I saw how he was standing in the net so I knew exactly what I wanted to do basically from center and um, I just tried to not think about it and just react and, and just let it play out and you know it worked out it went in the back of the net and I, I was I was pretty excited about it Did you black out for a minute? <laughs> a little bit like people were chirping my reaction um, after it's kind of like a Phil Mickelson 4 Masters win when I get that oh, little jump reference. with the stick in the air. Someone told me that, yeah. So I I, I was honestly just so excited. Um, I didn't yeah. really know how to react. Um, just the thought, it was more so the thought of the season not being done. That uh, You know, we get to come back and do this for at least one more week. And, you know, I, I love this organization. I love my teammates. And I, I'm so happy that we get to uh, have an opportunity
0: to uh, play in the Western Final now. Lightning Joey Capito of the Colorado Mammoth, the hero last Friday night in their West semifinal against the Rush. They are now moving on where they will face the Calgary Roughnecks in a one-game West final. The winner, of course, is going to advance to the National Lacrosse League Championship. And if you look back in the annals of history, when Calgary won their first NLL Cup and Colorado won their first NLL Cup back in the early 2000s, they both beat the Buffalo Bandits for that championship. So, maybe history might find a way of repeating itself this year for either of those two clubs, but obviously the Toronto Rock will have something to say about that as well. Let's stay in the West for a quick minute and talk about San Diego and Calgary, a Monday nighter down at Pechanga Arena in sunny SoCal. And I know that there are people who will say, you know, Mondays are tough for players and coaches and the organization because of travel and missed work and people aren't able to get to games on Mondays as easily. I get that. But as a fan of lacrosse, to be able to watch lacrosse on a Monday night, even a late Monday afternoon for us West Coast guys watching the Eastern game, There's not much things better than that. And I've said this before, as we grow as a league, Mondays might start to become more of a thing. And if we're going to have a 30-team league, as the commish would like, we can't have all 30 teams playing Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. We're going to have to expand our reach deeper into the weekdays. So Monday wasn't the worst thing. There was over 8,000 in Georgia, uh, five plus thousand in San Diego. Obviously not huge numbers, but decent crowds for both of those games. And even a Saturday night crowd in Buffalo was a little bit lower, but I think this Saturday in Buffalo, the crowd is going to be quite raucous you'll get the rock fans driving down across the border you'll get the buffalo bands coming out in droves i'm sure you'll probably see some rochester nighthawks fans in attendance cheering on the west because i'm sure they don't want to see either of those teams win but i think the crowds will get better this week and you know it's going to be a huge crowd in calgary Uh, it will be a huge crowd in buffalo back to monday night in San Diego, where the Roughnecks and Seals played a very tightly contested first half. 6-6 after the first 30 minutes. We talked about three power play goals for the Calgary Roughnecks in that quarter. The second quarter really helped them get back into the game. They went 4-7 for seven on the power play the entire night. And that's something that Colorado will have to be wary of as this is a very potent Roughnecks power play. Good thing for the mammoth they tend not to take a lot of penalties but the third quarter san diego found themselves with the lead and they were up a pair of goals 10-8 going into the fourth quarter much like saskatchewan the home team was unable to take advantage of the home floor advantage and that home crowd and keep the momentum on their side jesse king scored two and a half in. Tyler Burton scored off the ensuing draw to tie the game back up. When Turner Evans restored the lead just a minute and a half later, you kind of felt, okay, maybe San Diego has the strength to take this game. But it was the veteran experience of the Calgary Roughnecks that allowed them to climb to the top of the scoreboard. Riley Lowen up 4.33. Then Curtis Dixon would score the game winner halfway through the fourth quarter in typical Dixon fashion. Taking the ball off the sidewall. Got a great pick from Mitch Wild. Came around the pick. Got into the inside and went far side top corner. He has done that time and time again. I can vividly picture him doing that against Colorado multiple times this year. Uh, He's done it against everybody. And it's just what he does. He comes off picks harder than almost anybody in the league. And when he turns that corner and you don't have a guy sliding to stop him, he is nearly impossible to keep away from the net. So he scores that goal to put him up 12 11. Christian Del Bianco and the Roughnecks defense hold the fort the rest of the way. Delb's made 13 saves in that final quarter out dueling. His good buddy Frank Chiliano at the opposite end of the floor. And the Roughnecks steal a victory on the road and advance to the West Final on their home floor. And they couldn't have been happier to get out of there with that win and able to go back home to the Roughhouse. Now, the big question is, how will the short week affect Calgary? That's a great question. Some people think it might have a big effect on them. Others don't think it'll affect them at all. It might even be in their favor because the turnaround isn't as long. Whichever school of thought you believe to be the better model, I think regardless, both teams will be ready to play Friday night from Pengro Saddledome in Calgary. 9 o'clock Eastern time, 6 o'clock Pacific is the faceoff. And like we've talked about a little bit off the start, these two teams have played 10 times since 2004. Calgary holds a 9-1 advantage. They played four times in Calgary. Colorado has lost every single time. And again, the last time they won, 2006. 18-17 overtime winner, Brian Langtree sending the Pepsi crowd fans home in jubilation. The Mammoth would go on to win the cup that year. And funnily enough, Pat Coyle and his assistant Andy McBride played against each other in that game. There is a lot of history between these two clubs and we're going to get another installment Friday night and expect another instant classic from Calgary. Let's quickly jump to the National Cross League West. And when we talk about the Buffalo Bandits, uh, we mentioned that game never really in doubt for the Buffalo Bandits. They knock off New England 13-6. Uh, they had control right off the gate. They are up 3-0 within the first two and a half minutes before Callum Crawford got a goal in the power play. And they would just continue to roll and extend their lead as that game went on. Uh, they outscored them 4-1 on the first, 4-1 on the fourth. And never really were in any doubt. They were 5 for 9 on the power play. They won 15 of 23 draws. And maybe the biggest play of the game were the back-to-back saves by the Bandits players. Not Matt Vince. It was Jordan Durson with the first one off the right shoulder. Then apparently, it was Josh Byrne who made the second save and not Matt Vince. What an incredible team play, and when you can get plays like that, hustle plays, individual effort plays like that, that just takes your team's energy level that much higher, and that just shows the level of compete that is in the Buffalo Bandits locker room right now, and it may just go down as the save and play of the year. I think you kind of got to give Joey credit, some love for play of the year with his overtime heroics. Uh, There were some other incredible plays all year long. My mind is drawing a complete blank, Um, but you got to put it up there. Uh, Both those, the computer goal and the Durston slash burn saves have to be up there uh, for plays of the year, but that's just the kind of effort you're going to get now that we are getting that much closer to the finals. The bandits will be ready Saturday night when the rock come to town. And the Rock are coming off a huge win down in Georgia, 16-14 over the Swarm, where they had to hold on late in that contest. They had the lead. They were sort of in mini-cruise control. It was 13-8 going into the fourth. But Georgia had different plans. They scored the first two goals, only to have Toronto reply with two more of their own. And then Holden Cotone with an extra attacker. And then Adam Jones into an empty net. And that seemed like it was going to be it. Two and a half minutes left in the contest. seemed like Jones had sealed it for Toronto. And they were going to cruise. But then Randy Stotts on a power play just 20 seconds later. And then Lyle Thompson and Shane Jackson going six on five in the span of 26 seconds. Got it to within a two-goal game. But Nick Rose and the Toronto Rock defense were able... To hold the line and keep the Swarm off the scoreboard for the final minute and a half. And they come away with a massive road win to advance to another NLL East final. Where they will meet their longtime rivals, the Buffalo Bandits. But in that game, I think we have to kind of focus on Tom Schreiber and just how continually fantastic he is playing. The one goal he scored, it was almost a James Harden step back three. Off his back foot, low to high elevator. Top corner past Mike Poulin. He just continues to impress every time he is on the floor. He had six points, four and two. He gets better every time we see him. And it's phenomenal to watch. And I think Buffalo is going to have to find a way to limit his opportunities. But this Toronto Rock offense isn't just Tom Schreiber. Kieran McArdle had five points. Hellyer had six. Adam Jones had nine points. Dan Craig had six points. Like this is an offense that can put up numbers. And it's very rare that we see teams put up big numbers on the Georgia Swarm. Sure, Mike Poolin was coming off an injury. Maybe he wasn't 100%. But that just shows the kind of compete level that Mike Poolin is. You knew he wasn't going to miss that game. Unfortunately for the Swarm, he wasn't at his best, and it showed, which allowed Toronto to have the advantage in that game. Nick Rose came up huge down the stretch, as he has done all year for this Toronto Rock team. He made 49 saves on the night, and I think he's going to be, sorry, he made 35 saves on 49 shots. He's going to be even busier Saturday night facing the Buffalo Bandits, and it will be interesting to see how he goes up head-to-head against Matt Vince. Um, I think four goalies in the NLL division finals right now are the four best in the game of lacrosse as we stand. It will be duels upon duels upon duels in both games, either side of the ball. So many key individual matchups that... The head coaching chess matches will be on full display. Kurt Miloski v. Pat Coyle. And then JT slash Richie Kilgore going head-to-head against Matt Sawyer. Rivalries, friendships, relationships, they're all on the line. And when the whistle goes, all those things get thrown out the window. You can be best friends after the game. But for four quarters and more maybe, you are bitter, bitter enemies. And that's what make playoff lacrosse so amazing. Dan Lintner of the Toronto Rock had himself a career year this year. He played in all 18 games. He set highs in goals, points, and assists. He has become one of their true grit guys, finding loose balls, creating secondary possessions, and giving them every opportunity to be successful, and he has worked at his craft over the years. He may not be the biggest guy, or the fastest, or the strongest. Actually, he might be two of those things, because the guy is a little brick house. But his grit and determination have forced Matt Sawyer to keep him in the lineup on a regular basis. And those types of players are huge for teams going forward in the playoffs, because if you do not have the grinders... You're not going to be a successful team going forward. And all four of these teams have guys who play that grinder role. And it is a role that they relish. It is a role they take a lot of pride in. And it is a role that makes them valuable in the National Lacrosse League. I caught up with Dan Wednesday night getting him home from a late night of work. And we just started a conversation about how they work their minds around playing on a Monday.
4: Uh, we all got there uh, midday Sunday. Uh, we just wanted to make sure, um, obviously, we were, uh, we were getting down there in a good time. We just wanted to, you know, it was you know, good to get together with, with the team as well, you know, uh, have a good meal. We all uh, popped up to the Olive Garden down there and had a good team meal. And uh, you we know, did some prep with, uh, with Maddie and the coaches, um, you know, a little bit early. So we got our our, uh, our good rest and.
3: Do they still do endless salad and breadsticks down there?
4: Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> that is uh one of the beauties of uh of the Olive Garden. I may have had one or two too many dead myself. Um that was a a great
3: game for you guys. Obviously got a little dicey near the end, but how were you guys feeling as that game progressed, knowing what was at stake?
4: It's always uh you know, it's play off lacrosse, right? You're uh you're going into it with uh with a mindset of, you know, we're we're going to win this game. We're not uh you know, no matter who we're playing, we're we're heading into that as uh you know we're gonna come out on top. Uh like you mentioned it did get a bit uh, a bit dicey at the end there, but uh you know we uh we came into it with a game plan and you know for uh for majority of that game I think we uh we executed on it pretty good.
3: That second quarter obviously was a big turning point. You guys outscored them six to two. Was there a bit of a momentum shift or was it something that Coach Matt Sawyer saw that kind of allowed you guys to change the tide yeah it's
4: uh it's it's a it's, it's a game of weather in the storms right like obviously mm-hmm. they came out and uh, and got up pretty quick and um you know Maddie does a, a you know an awesome job of uh keeping us pretty uh pretty even keel um you know no matter you know where you're at, whether it's two nothing tie game or whatever it is um you know it's just the next shift the next play and um you know you saw it in the second quarter there we uh we just sort of shifted our mindset as to, you know onto that quarter and um you know took it shift by shift and you know put together one of one of the better quarters we played in uh you know in a few games
3: how good has nick rose been down the stretch for you guys because he's a big part of you guys moving forward
4: yeah i mean Rosie's rosy he's uh he's one of the best if not the best in the game you know when he's uh when he's playing, uh, playing up to, uh, you know, his standard, he's a extremely tough goalie to beat. Um, you know, I'm speaking from, you know, experience playing against them and, mm-hmm. uh, and also playing with them. Right. So he's, uh, a massive part of our team and you know, not even, you know, some, uh, just a goalie standpoint, but even at the, uh, the end of the game, there just, a, a huge heads up play by him, you know, calling a, a timeout when we were getting into a little bit of trouble there. Um, you know that was that was massive, and that just goes to show he, you uh, know, he knows the game, he knows what he's doing, and he's a uh, like you mentioned a massive part of uh, of our team, and and that's going forward here.
3: You had yourself a career year in goals, assists, and points. Um, how what was the biggest thing for you this year to get your game to the next level? Was it just as simple as playing an eighteen game season?
4: Um, you know, it's, it's my fourth year now, and you know, at a point, I, I just you know you just gotta get a little bit more confident you know I've found myself a few times you know obviously you know if you're getting in periodically you're you're not getting into a rhythm, obviously you know getting into every game this year was uh was awesome and and you know i I really uh, appreciate the you know the confidence maddie and uh and Blainer and, and everyone had in me to uh you know continue to let me do that and you know I just take it game by game and uh and, you know try to put my best product out there. Um, you know, taking on uh a little bit of a, a role, you know, when, when you got guys like Schreiber and uh and Robbie up there who uh you know, can do so much with the ball. I just try to do my my part and you know, try to uh try to get them the best looks as possible and you know, at the end of the day they're uh, they're amazing players uh, over there that are gonna, you know, find you when you're open as well. So, um I definitely think uh, you know, getting into uh um, you know, all eighteen games had a had part to do with it, but um you know, it's, uh, just something that I'm, uh, you know, taking game my game still, you know, in the playoffs here as well.
3: That, that rhythm
4: is important for lacrosse players.
3: How important was it for you guys to keep that rhythm going in on Monday?
4: You know, if we, uh, we went into Vancouver and, you know, obviously, um, the last game of the year, you know, from a point standpoint or a placement standpoint, it really didn't mean much, but it, it was a big game. You know, we, uh, we wanted to, uh, continue the the lacrosse we were playing. We were sort of on an upward trajectory just in terms of, you know, putting together a full game. Um, You know, we went into that game and, uh, you know, played our game, and and it was a a good game for us and some good momentum going into the Monday game. And I think we picked up right where we left off.
3: You guys beat Buffalo twice during the regular season. How much do you build off that going into Saturday?
4: It's... uh, I'm sure you're aware it's, it's a whole nother caliber in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, we play some great games with them. You know, we always only seem to. I think from a matchup standpoint, our, uh, you know, our team matches up really good against them. You know, we've had some good success against them this year, but, you know, they are where they are, or they were where they were in the standings this year for a reason. They're a extremely strong team, you know, everywhere on the floor um so we're definitely gonna have to put together a full 60 minutes uh you know to pull one out in uh, in buffalo
3: how impressed have you been watching the progress of tom schreiber in the indoor game everybody knows he's an incredible lacrosse player and and he was going to have success here but at the rate that he's been doing it so quickly how impressive has that been for you to watch
4: it's uh it's impressive you know on a on a game by game basis you know he's the. He's an unbelievably talented player, you know, probably one of not the best in the world, uh, you know, between the box and field game. It's uh, between him and, and Kieran, you know, just the rate that they they've came in, you know, coming in a couple of years ago, not having any knowledge around the box game whatsoever, just sort of mm-hmm. saying, hey, we're going to come and give this a shot. Um, you know, Tom is, uh, you know, extremely talented and it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty awesome to watch on a daily basis. You know, I got the the perspective playing against him in university. You
0: mm-hmm. know, in
4: the you know, a multiple times. You know, being uh, between Princeton and Cornell there, um, and you know, he was uh, he was a standout player there. And you know, he's uh, obviously just continued his uh, his dominance per se. You know, of the lacrosse world and um, you know where he is now. I'm sure he's only going to get better.
3: How is that rivalry, Cornell Princeton? Is it a big one in the lacrosse world?
4: <laughs> I mean. From uh, from my standpoint, it's it's one of the biggest. You know, I guess you got to sort of be a part of it to to really understand. But you know, we play them. You know, at the end of the year on our on our senior day, um, every year. You know, it's always a, a schedule, or excuse me, a game, you circle on the schedule. Um, you know, it's uh, been a rivalry. You know, I, I think we played them countless times. Where, you know, you you go in and play them, you know, at the end of the year, and then you go ahead and play them right again in the Ivy League tournament, you know, the yeah. same week. Um, and, you know, it could go either way, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, them winning a us. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely a, a big rivalry, and um, I'm sure it'll continue to be that way for uh, for many years uh, to come.
3: You mentioned, uh, you know, getting away from work and you're coming home from work tonight. What is your Monday to Friday job, or I guess this is <laughs> the day to Friday?
4: yeah i mean i uh, i work downtown here i work for a company called Tech Systems. i'm uh, basically an i t financial services recruiter um whatever you wanna call it head hunter uh i t staffing specialist <laughs> there's yeah. uh you know uh, a multiple different uh, titles for it but i uh yeah i work right uh, right downtown you know york and king here um you know doing my best to uh find people the the job of their dreams uh wow. within the uh the IT services field here in have Toronto
3: have any lacrosse guys looked you up
4: for a job looked me up for a job looking yeah. to to place them um yeah. not so much uh it's uh it's kind of a unique world that we we work in it's like very very IT focused so mm-hmm. um i don't Just know lacrosse guys
3: l- aren't that smart
4: no, not at all, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know a ton of lacrosse guys that, uh, you know, work in, in like the application development space or, right. um, our project managers or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, not a ton of guys that I'm aware of are, are in that space. I know a few are actually in the same type of role, like, uh, Danny Craig on, on our team actually does a, a very a similar job that I do just within a different organization. Um, you know, it's uh it's an awesome job. It does give me uh, a lot of flexibility in terms of, you know, my my lacrosse lifestyle. So yeah. I'm uh definitely thankful that way. But uh you know I uh, I definitely go to uh go to my job Monday to Friday with uh you know a smile on my face and it definitely takes a uh you know a lot of uh hard work and it sort of from your athletic standpoint translates a little bit it's uh you know obviously within that type of job there's a lot of competition as well. Um so no, it's good. I, uh, I definitely enjoy it.
3: Now, am I correct to saying that you guys have dance offs at your work?
4: Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I take it. You're, uh, referring to some of the stories I post, <laughs> yeah. uh, on my Snapchat there. I would call it a dance off. It's more or less just like, a um, a camaraderie thing within, uh, within our office. It's, it's more for people, you know, when they place their, their first person within their job, it's, yeah. Sort of like a, I guess a tradition to put together a small dance, and you know <laughs> everyone gets to celebrate that. It's you know it can get a little bit awkward, but you know everyone just has a good time with it. It's uh, it's pretty funny. Um, you know I wish I still had mine on video. I'd I'd probably try and bury it as deep as I could because <laughs> I'm not the best of dancers. But uh, yeah. it was uh, it was a while ago. It, uh, but you know if uh, if you want to continue doing that. Um I'm sure there'll be a few more in the next little bit.
3: Right. Um, Saturday night is going to be a huge game. Obviously, the Toronto Rock and their fan base travel well. Uh, it's going to be very hostile environment in Buffalo. Obviously, you're expecting um, a hard, fast-paced game. Uh, what's going to be the key for you guys to knock off the Bandits and head back to the NLL Cup final?
4: It's gonna take uh you know a, a full uh, full sixty minutes from everyone on our team right that's uh one of the toughest places to play in my opinion in uh in the league it's always uh you know the bandits get one of the best crowds in the league um you know and they're they're definitely not uh how do you put it extremely welcoming of the visiting team so um you know fortunate for us we have a great fan base as well and an extremely supportive group of fans and you know, I, I totally expect to see a a great number of Toronto jerseys in the crowd there on, uh, on Saturday, but, uh, from a team perspective, I think we just need to carry on what, uh, you know, what we brought to Georgia. That was, uh, that was a pretty great game, you know, from all fronts. Um, our, our offense was, you know, doing what we needed to do and, you know, our, our defense and Rosie's, you know, played unbelievable. They were, uh, definitely, you know, a key contributor to, to the reason why we pulled that one out on Monday. So, um, there's no magic formula to it. We're just gonna have to, you know, put our our nose down and put together, um, you know, another game like we know we can. Um, you know, from from the the D back there all the way up to uh, to us up on the front door. So um, I have all the confidence in our in our team, and you know, I uh, I totally uh, expect us to go in there and uh, and pull one out.
3: Dan, always a pleasure catching up, my friend. Uh, say hello to my good buddy Blaine Manning for me, and best of on Saturday night. <laughs>
4: Will do. I uh, I appreciate it,
0: buddy. That's Dan Lintner of the Toronto Rock. And yes, Blaine Manning and I go way back to our junior days. So great to see him uh, as a coach having success in the National Crossing as an old guy. Uh, and he's done great stuff with that Toronto Rock offense. Uh, I've caught up with him a few times over the years. And he's just having an absolute blast coaching in the NLL. And it's great to see... They like, continue to say it's great to see guys who have been in the league recently now getting shots to coach in the NLL. Obviously, uh, the most recent success story is Pat Merrill. Uh, just look at the the love that he has gotten from a guy like Joe Ty, his his owner and boss, who just raved about the work that Pat Merrill did and. I think Pat Merrill has a bright future as a coach and GM in this league, and I think there's tons of great minds coming up in the coaching game uh, that are going to be needed in the National Cross League as we get more teams. Obviously, Reggie Thorpe is gonna get his first real crack at being a coach and jam in the National Cross League, and there's gonna be more to come. So thanks to Dan Lindner for, for stopping by and catching up. Uh, obviously, if if you go down to the United States or and get the Olive Garden, make sure you fill up on all-you-can-eat breadsticks and salads because that is just one of the best deals going. I think you actually have to pay 6 or 7 bucks now if you're just having breadsticks and salads. You used to be able to just go and kind of gorge yourself on those things. But uh, Olive Garden, a classic night-before-game staple for any sporting team uh, that's out there. Just classic, classic heavy Italian food, uh, yet delicious and gets you ready for the big game. Speaking of coaching... Um, had an interesting experience with my junior club this weekend and out here in bc we've just adopted the five-year junior program where it's sort of been the norm in ontario for the pat for as long as i can remember really and when you make that change there are so many different optics that you have to realize and the biggest one that we're noticing with our group because we're very young is when you play teams that don't have junior A programs, they're often very heavy with older kids. Because those kids don't really have a junior program to go and play for. And if they're not good enough to go and play for uh, an out-of-market junior program, so if a kid is in Richmond and he may not be good enough to go play for Delta junior A, he's going to play tier one for Richmond. And so when you get a 17-year-old kid going up against a 21-year-old man, that is a huge difference. And we saw it a bunch in Richmond this weekend, and it gets more and more apparent at just the age gap in junior now. And I know Ontario's been dealing with it uh, for years, but it's still a new thing out here in BC, and it's just crazy to see a young kid that can't grow facial hair, that's got acne, um, still kind of trying to figure out Uh, his body type and if he's going to grow into his body and then he goes and has to drop the mitts with a guy who's got a shaved head and a full beard that he probably shaved off this morning and it grew back that fast. It's a bit of an eye opener. And some of our kids had a bit of an eye opener this past weekend. And I'm sure uh, a lot of fresh faced 17 year olds in the BC junior leagues are, are experiencing that as well. Um, but it was just kind of funny watching uh, the dynamics of kids in the Junior A Leagues these days now in BC with the five-year program. Some kids benefit from it. Some kids who are 17 years old are relishing in the fact to play Junior A, and we've even called up kids that are 16-year-old midgets, and they love coming up and playing the junior game. It's more free-flowing. It's more physical. Uh, The refs let a lot more go. Kids can actually specialize offense or defense or even be come straight transition players. It's just a very interesting and wonderful experience all at the same time. So uh, if you get a chance to go watch some junior lacrosse, especially uh, the tier one junior B guys, go give them some love. Um, There is that stereotypical optic that junior B is jungle lacrosse. It's no good. It's just a bunch of goons fighting. Uh, That couldn't be further from the truth. So if you got a chance... Uh, junior B is some really, really good lacrosse. And and the Junior B in Ontario obviously has been around a lot longer, so it's more established, and you see a lot more high-quality caliber players playing Junior B. Uh, we kind of see that out west a little bit, but guys who are that talented usually find their way to the Junior A ranks. And we've already had a bunch of our kids from our Tier 1s get called up to the Junior A Shamrocks, and they are relishing in that role and having a great time at it. So uh, junior lacrosse is growing. It's coming a long way uh, across our country, and it's only going to get better with proper growth, uh, proper coaching, and proper leadership from those that head our sport. Let's have a chat with Pat Gregoire. Every week, we take a peek. Around the NLL, so many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke and Pat.
3: It's the playoff edition of a chat with Pat, joined now by Patty
1: Gregoire. Smokey P, how are you, buddy? Doing good, man. The sun's shining, and uh, I get to talk to you, so things couldn't oh. be any better. Wow. <laughs> that's.
3: Woo. I'm a little flushed now.
1: I, I don't know what to say
3: to that. Um, I appreciate you giving me some time. Your Iron Head Have a big game on Wednesday, so I know you got to prepare. So it won't yep. keep you long. But a I, I first-round weekend in the National Lacrosse League playoff, and,
1: boy, what a weekend it was. Oh, it, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, with the, the upsets that we saw, the performances uh, from some of these teams, uh, every single game. I mean, obviously, the Buffalo game, uh not quite as tightly contested, but even in that game, there were some unbelievable moments, Uh most notably that, that Durston save, mm-hmm. Uh maybe the save of the year coming from a player, Uh but from start to finish with the weekend. And I also kind of enjoyed the, the Monday night lacrosse. I'm not going to lie, obviously from a league standpoint, I could see why it's not ideal, but uh for a guy sitting on a couch, has nothing else to do on a Monday. Heck, that was that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Absolutely was. And I think,
3: you know, as we've talked about this before and I'm sure everybody else is kinda of thinking about it as the league grows and expands, we're gonna have to get away from Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays, and hopefully the ideal goal is to have this a full time sport playing throughout the week and so hopefully uh Mondays might become a regular thing down the road.
1: Oh, I would love it. And I, I think you you are right. Obviously, right now it's not ideal. Just with the fact that the players, a lot of guys are having to get that off work and uh, the crowd's not quite as ideal. But I think once we get into it, like you said, when players are are uh, more full-time, this is where NL can take advantage and, and really, really, you know, own a Monday Night Lacrosse where nothing really else is going on or uh, even with those certain markets uh, where you can have – you know, every Monday or every Wednesday, these people know that that's the home night of, you know, whatever team rather than it always being on the weekend and having to compete with so much else. Well, you
3: don't yeah. want to
1: compete with Monday Night Raw, do you?
3: Oh, that's true. Very true. true. So <laughs> maybe Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday works. work. Um, let's start with Friday night, the Mammoth Rush game. Uh, everybody pretty much had picked the Rush to win that game. How much do you think the – Beyonce's power outage affected the Rush?
1: (laughs) You know what, to be quite honest, I I think obviously it it affects a little bit, uh, but you could even argue that maybe because the way that Colorado was rolling, it it allowed them, or sorry, didn't allow them, it kind of took some momentum away from them. So I I don't think that's an excuse that Rush fans can use. Um, And I know that there have been some some Rush fans saying that the officiating wasn't very favorable in their favor with some moving pick calls and even that, that crease or uh, goalie interference uh, call at the end. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the Mammoths were the better team and you rarely ever get to hear this. But I think Pat Coyle outcoached Derek Keenan. Derek Keenan, for oh, one, maybe hot, his entire hot, career, hot, hot and alert. he may have been outcoached and not the fact that Derek Keenan coached a bad game, it's just that Pat Coyle, Andrew McBride, and Sean Williams came up with a perfect game plan, uh, but the fact that they played each other so much this season, you give three lacrosse minds that long to look at tape, and, and that much abundance of tape, they had so many uh, great game plan adjustments uh, from their previous battles that they were allowed to really uh, expose some tiny holes that the rush have in their lineup made those
3: holes much bigger yeah and I would I make this comment to Joey Capito just a minute ago talking about the the regular season finale where it was 11-1 at half or whatever preposterous score it was and there was a moment in that game where Coyle was going to put Steve Fryer in and Dylan Ward waved him back you could actually see yeah. it on the camera and he waved him back and he's like no I'm in and I think mm-hmm. what that allowed Dylan to do was and everybody else, and this was one of the things a lot of the Mammoth said, was that that game actually allowed them to work through some issues and work through yeah. some of their, their challenges they had with the rush and allowed a guy like Dylan Ward to see the tendencies of Matthews in church and Ben McIntosh and Jeff Shatler, it allowed the defense to work through some of the holes that they had, and that allowed them to going into the fourth game they played against the rush this year to make those adjustments. And the common theme after the game was, it's nearly impossible to beat a team four straight
1: times in this league. Exactly. And like I said, especially when you have the coaching staff uh, that the Mammoths have, Uh, I thought the offense did a great job really spreading the floor with the rush, uh, using that guy behind the net, you know, multiple times. Uh, And it just looked like the rush really didn't know what to do with that. And it kind of, that was the, I shouldn't say the first time. We've seen the rush kind of look disorganized, um, you know, on the floor this year from a defensive standpoint. But uh, they look flustered at some point. The offense looked very frustrated as well. And, I mean, you did mention it, Dylan Ward. Uh, we can't take that away from him as well. Uh, he was tremendous. Uh, and he just seems like one of these goaltenders, one of these players that, uh, you know, when the 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 light is brightest, he shines so big. Uh, And there is no stage too big uh, for Dylan Ward. And I I truly believe that was the case. Uh, Last time we had, you know, you had me on last week, I had to pick which upset was more likely, and I picked New England. Uh, But I did say if Colorado was going to pull off the upset, uh, Dylan Ward would have to be their best player. And I think maybe with the exception of Ryan Lee, who had a tremendous first NLL playoff game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you could say that Dylan Ward and maybe Lee, and let's let's also give a a good coaching staff uh, bump there as well because uh, that a, that game plan was perfectly executed with the offense and the defense as well.
3: Saturday night, Buffalo wins. We kind of mentioned that it was just a, they had control of that game pretty much from the onset. Um, they are looking like probably the team to beat right now overall. Um, on Monday. The Monday-nighters, Toronto goes into Georgia, pulls off the upset. Calgary goes into San Diego, comes back and pulls off the upset. Three of the four road teams won. Home floor advantage didn't seem to be much of an advantage.
1: No, it really wasn't. And I'm not too sure if maybe uh, with the fact that those Monday-night games, they really weren't, you know, raucous environments. Just due to the fact that it was a Monday, uh, there wasn't that much time to really push um, for ticket sales, and and two markets that kind of you know have had some up and downs. Obviously, San Diego has been tremendous this year, but we have seen some games not quite as filled as we did near the start of the year. And Georgia, we all know that how they've been uh, with crowds, so that's one thing there that I think definitely home floor advantage wasn't nearly as a, a big. Uh, advantage for home team. Uh, but I think maybe we just put too much stock into those uh, top seeds, and me especially uh, with Georgia. But I, I guess it really underplayed uh, the health of Mike Poulin because Mike Poulin was not himself. Uh, he was letting in goals that we'd never see him let in. We know that uh, with the Toronto Rock playing them this year, the way that their offense had success was a lot of outside shots down at his feet uh but there were some outside shots that were you know hitting his stick and trickling in uh and just really really just uncharacteristic goals against uh for Mike Poulin so i think that was a a big factor within san diego i uh, i i just think maybe that yeah you know what calgary was the lower seed at this point in the season i think calgary's the better team
4: uh they they
1: started out slow i think a lot of that had to do with the bye week uh, but as they got going, they were chugging along. Obviously, those two majors uh, were absolutely heartbreaking uh, for San Diego. It yeah. just seemed like they couldn't get anything going. Uh, and when you give skilled players like Dixon, Doby, King, those guys over and over, Reese Dutch, you give those guys chance to score on the man advantage, they're going to make you pay. And I know that San Diego came into the game, they wanted to be physical. Uh, but once those two majors happen, you you would honestly want to think that they have to say, all right, guys, we have to dial this back a little bit because you know we're just getting killed on the penalty kill right now. And ultimately, you look at the the stat line; special teams was was the big difference by the end of the game.
3: Hundred percent. And I think in the playoffs, special teams becomes that much more important oh, yeah. because you know the referees are going to want to let these guys play, and they don't want to be the focal point and calling whistles and pulling the pace, of the game. And they want these games to be moving. Uh, so anytime you can get an opportunity on the power play, uh, you got to make sure you capitalize. Um, so we got Buffalo, Toronto, which is an incredible rivalry. And we got Calgary and Colorado, which continues to be one of the best playoff rivalries in the national crossing, which is the juicier matchup.
1: Honestly, these these two, it's so tough to pick. Uh, because like you said, juicy, sexy, whatever you want to call it, uh, it is going to be two great games of lacrosse. You start with Toronto and Buffalo, like you said, That that's a storied uh, historic rivalry between the two teams. They hate each other. Uh, it doesn't matter which players uh, go through each team throughout those organizations. Uh, it just when as soon as you throw on a Toronto Rock sweater or you throw on a Buffalo Bandit sweater, you immediately hate the other team. Uh, and I think that with Toronto as well, uh, handing half the losses of Buffalo this season, it proves that they match up so so well. Uh, that in itself, yes, Buffalo's the team to beat. But if there's a team to beat them, it's been the Rock this season. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. you look in the West. There's more of a recent history uh, between the two teams, like you said, in the playoffs. Uh, And with Calgary playing spoiler so many times, we're thinking this is the year that the Mammoth are going to get over the hump. They're going to go and they're going to win a championship or they're going to get to the West Finals. uh, And Calgary, you know, pops up and spoils their run. Well, now the roles are reversed. And Colorado is the team that, you know, is kind of playing with house money here. Everyone wrote them off last game. Now they're in this position, and it seems like there are just so many correlations to their last championship team uh, with them being a gritty, um, you know, a really hardworking team that kind of has that us-against-the-world mentality. And Anytime you have, a, a you know, an underdog going up against, yes, Calgary, maybe not Goliath, But if you asked a lot of lacrosse pundits at the start of the playoffs, they were pegged as a dark horse. So I'm not going to pick one or the other because both these games are going to be so, so good. Um, And I think either team could win at this point. Sweet top-up. (laughs) Toronto beat Buffalo
3: twice. Colorado beat Calgary twice. Those early wins and those wins in the season –
1: play any advantage or do we throw it all out the window i think you've got to throw it all the, out the window especially with toronto and buffalo that first game of the season or i believe it was the second game this season buffalo was still trying to figure things out matt vince really didn't know what he was getting into with that defense. Uh, and Matt Vince is a type of goalie where he really likes to play his style that, that works well with him, and it just – they weren't jiving. So, mm-hmm. if you look at that game, I think you throw it out. The second game as well, it just – I mean, you can take that or whatever. Uh, but the, the, the last game they they both played, these are two offensive powerhouses, and there was, you know, only 13 goals scored, I believe. No, so no. – no, there was twenty-three goals scored in that game. That was a,
3: that was the OT game.
1: Okay, the OT, and then the following game was the, no, eight, the one before that. The one before
3: that, the middle game was the eight-six game. Right there, you go. So yeah. we've yeah. seen
1: two completely uh, different stories between the three games. Yeah. So I think you have to throw it out. And if I'm the Toronto Rock, obviously you like to go with what's working for you. And this Toronto Rock team, it seems like this year has lived and died by the outside shot. I thought they were going to die by the outside shot play, playing against uh, Georgia in a playoff game. It seemed to work for them. But you're going up go, against Matt Vince. He's going to eat mm-hmm. out all those outside shots. Obviously, Jones, Schreiber, they're going to sink some shots from the outside. Uh, but I'm looking to see some more transition goals. Challen Rogers is going to have to be an X factor. And I think that the Rock are going to have to get to the middle. A guy like, uh, you know, Johnny Palace, he's going to have to be a big, big X factor as well. Mm. They can't just rely on their big shooters from the outside. If they're going to come out on top and beat this wagon of a team that is led by Matt Vince, they're going to have to get to the inside. They're going to have to score in transition because that outside shot and relying on uh, power play, uh, that's not going to cut it against the Bandits come postseason. Patty, always a pleasure my
3: man. Uh, Good luck to your Iron Heads Wednesday night. I know it's going to be a – a big game for you fellas. And we still have hope that the founders brings us both together.
1: Hey, that would, that would be a little bit of a Cinderella story for us, but uh, we
0: certainly would take it. That's for sure. There he is smoking Pat Gregoire joining us each and every week here on the off the crossbar podcast. Great stuff from Pat. Um, It'll be interesting to see if, if the three point shooting mentality of the Toronto rock, um, has favor against the Buffalo Bandits. If they can get inside on that Buffalo B- Bandits defense and get towards Matt Vince and make him work and not just continually throw outside bombs and let him soak those up. Interesting little tidbit in that the two lower seeds, Toronto and Colorado, beat the home club two out of three times this year. So take that as a super stat or meaningless number. You get to the side. Does that play advantage or does it not play advantage? We've seen in past that teams learn from their past mistakes. They will go back and watch every second of every single game and dissect it to the minute millisecond. Every step, every shot, every fake will be scrutinized, will be studied, and will be taken note of. And we've talked... that. The minds of these four coaches are of the utmost experienced, And they will have game plans for every situation, for every possibility. And even within those situations, they will have plan B, C, and D. Because we all know that off the first face-off, everything pretty much gets thrown out the window. You could be down 4-0 in a heartbeat and have to change your plan of attack. You could have an injury the night before in practice. Knock on wood for all four teams that that doesn't happen. But there will be moments in both of those games where the coaches are like, okay, we've planned for this moment. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know what we're going to do. Let's see if we can execute. And I'm thoroughly excited to watch the chess matches between both sets of coaching staffs. Or all four sets of coaching staffs, for that matter. Before we get going, uh, the Western Lacrosse Association announced some rule changes. Uh, We've talked about uh, in the past how um, the BC Junior League is moving away from a stationary 30 when teams are shorthanded. So now the 30-second shot clock runs. That will now happen in the WLA as well. Um, some are for it, some are against it. I'm on the fence. I was a huge fan of players ragging the ball because it's something that I did and I enjoyed doing. The energy that a player gets from his home crowd when he's ragging a ball um, there's not too many more energizing moments. To hear the crowd when you split through a double and run to open space and keep the penalty time winding down, I thrived off of that. And players thrive off that. I remember watching Dan Dawson rag seconds and minutes and minutes and minutes off penalty. The Evans brothers were incredible at it whenever we used to play Peterborough in Man Cups. It could be a momentum killer for teams. And yet at the same time, it is a momentum builder for the team ragging the ball. But the con side of the argument is that it, some people feel that it punishes the team that is on the power play because if they can't get it back, they may never get an opportunity on the power play. To which I say, you have an extra man, go get the ball. Again, being a guy who ragged it, not always the easiest thing to do when you have a guy who is skilled and adept at ragging the ball and or putting his thumb on the ball so you can't knock it out. Little tricks of the trade. So I can see the argument for both sides. I just liked the nuance of having a stationary 30. I I was a fan of it and I'm sad to see it go. Now, the other rule change that the WLA is implementing this year is that they will no longer play 10-minute non-sudden-death overtime. They will still have overtime, but it's now going to be five minutes, sudden-death, three-on-three. Let that sink in for a minute. Five minutes, sudden-death, three-on-three lacrosse. I would have been okay if they would have just said five on five sudden death because that would probably alleviate a lot of issues. Heck, I'd have been okay if they said four on four, five minutes of sudden death. Three on three makes it a little too much for me. I think it's great because it opens up the floor and I'm always a fan of three on three lacrosse. I'm just not sure how this is going to play out. Um, obviously I don't think we will see any more ties in the WLA. Uh, We weren't having that many ties to begin with. That's why I kind of feel this move is a little, a little much. That's why I think if you would have just, even if you would have just said 10 minutes of sudden death, five on five, I'm fine with that. But bumping down to three on three of five minutes, I think that was a little rash and a little too much, but. I think in the excitement of, in the want to keep being the games exciting and not slow the pace of things down, which is one of the reasons they moved to a moving 30. I think it's great. I think any time you can have excitement in overtime is great because there were times where it's five on five and it wasn't sudden death. There was a little lacklusterness to it. Sudden death is the way everything should be. I, I think I think golden goal in soccer was one of the greatest things that soccer ever had, and they took it away. So that was your weekly WLA update. Their season gets going uh, in just a couple of weeks. I think they start uh, the weekend of the 24th, which just happens to be the weekend that Game 2 of the NLL Finals will be taking place, and that will either be in Colorado or Calgary, and I will be there. I feel like I haven't been at an NLL game in months. It's only been a couple of weeks, but I'm excited to get back to calling games, and whether it's in Calgary or Colorado, whether it's Toronto or Buffalo, that NLL Finals is going to be an absolute doozy. Thanks to Pat Gregoire, thanks to Joey Capito, and thank you to Dan Lintner, and as always, thank you to you, the wicked awesome fans of the lacrosse world. Appreciate you tuning in and listening each and every week here on SoundCloud and the Lacrosse Flash. My name has been Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We are down to the final four. We are two games away from finding out the final two. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And until next week, be excellent to each other.